Caving in to the inflation pressure, Biden administration opens up federal land for oil drilling. What is Elon Musk up to with his uninvited offer to buy Twitter? Retired U.S. Air Force、uh, officer Lieutenant Colonel tells us what is the worst scenario should CCP invade Taiwan. The most、uh, prosperous city of China turns into hell in an unbelievable twist. Welcome to Wei and Kathy Show. I'm your host Wei Fang. I'm Kathy Zhang. Well, first、uh, let's talk about the last piece of news that we want to bring to you, which is what's happening in Shanghai. As you just heard from Kathy, it's just in an unbelievable twist. The, mo- the, the most glamorous or prosperous or pr- proudest city, or however you call it, Shanghai. It's called a, the the what the the pearl of the of the of the Orient, right? Yeah. Yeah, the, the Paris per- of、uh, Orient. The Paris of the Orient, the, the、yeah. Pearl of the Orient, sh- the city of Shanghai, where Kathy and、uh, and Wei came from. All right, so both of us attended the the best school over there before we came to the U.S. Just the entire city are starving; they cannot find enough food to to eat, and some of them, some old people, cannot bear with the suffering of the hunger. They jump out of the window, jump to their death. In the modern day twenty first century China, there's no war, there's no famine, there's no no disaster, there's no natural disaster, there's no storm, no hurricane, and the, no earthquake. Just and, yeah, and worse yet, what's the government is doing over there to its citizens who are not infected? We're gonna bring an update to you, and also share a story of a Ukrainian in Shanghai, what she wants to do, and her most urgent needs. She said is. Going back to Ukraine, the war zone. Yep, simply unbelievable. Okay, so stay with us until the end, and、uh, we'll bring you that story. Okay, so before that, let's bring you several pieces of important development. You know, in this country, the first has to do with our our own administration. Okay, it's actually to many of you, you will read this as a piece of good news. The Department of Interior. Announced today that it will resume the sale of oil and gas leases on federal land beginning next week. The Bureau of Land Management will begin issuing final environmental assessments and sale notices on next Monday for future oil and gas projects, and will offer to lease approximately 173 parcels on roughly 144,000 acres. Which is an eighty percent reduction from the acreage originally nominated, and the move came uh, as uh, President Biden faced the、uh, gasoline price hikes. You all know that, and the soaring inflation, and each of which、um, could prove politically catastrophic. We are only seven months away, you know, less than seven months away from the midterm election, and Biden has said that during the campaign that he wanted to end such leases. And put a、uh, moratorium on them the first day of his presidency. The department stated that the Bureau of Land Management assessed the potentially availability available in the eligible acreage in the state of、uh, Alabama, Colorado, Montana, Nevada, New Mexico, North Dakota, Oklahoma, Utah, and Wyoming. And if you recall that within the first week of、uh, in office, actually in the in, in the first day of his in office, Biden signed an executive order to to suspend the license for the Keystone、uh, Keystone pipeline. And then in his first week, he signed a, another executive order to temporarily suspend new oil and gas leases on the public lands and offshore waters for drilling and fracking. So now, so, Kathy,、yeah. what do you think? Well,、um, like <laughs> I can share what our you know the interviews of from my,、uh, some of our guests are talking about. You know,、um, is this are they, are they truly concerning about、um, the oil price, or you know, it's really just for the midterm election for the political. Uh, purpose. I think people can justify themselves. Yeah. So basically, actually,、um, as you know, that European there's this war going on, right, in, in Europe, and then European Union are really faced a terribly shortage of the energy. Okay, because they got the forty percent of the natural gas from Russia, 
25% of their oil from also Russia. And then now with the war going on, the, 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 they, they, they have not stopped buying, okay, but they reduced the purchase. And then now Europe is just really facing just between a, a, a hard place and a wall. And then what to do? Okay, it seems that they really have no way, no way out. You know, today, um, Germany is still buying enough gas and oil from Russia, literally providing Russia with uh, 10 billion dollar euros every month. You can imagine that money most likely went to the, went to the war. And then, so this is a, this situation. And uh, so Biden is also between the uh, one hard, hard, uh, rock and hard place. And now it seems that uh, Biden cannot hold that, hold that off anymore. So after, you know, just selling out the, un unleashing, right? Unleashing the, the, the um, emergency reserve, reserve oil, and try to, try to stabilize the oil, oil market. And that's, that's not enough. That simply is not enough. Only half a million um, barrels a day. And this country is probably short of uh, two or three million barrels a day. So now uh, Biden has reopened up the federal land, which is, well, good news for the oil companies. Um, however, the Keystone, Keystone pipeline is not uh, still suspended. That one is not working, and that's quite a significant uh, project, which could provide nearly, nearly one million barrels a day. And um, actually, let me just extend that a little bit. So does Europe have a solution? It does. Just think about that. Um, I don't know whether you agree or not, but in my opinion, the, in, in Germany, they got a 17, 17 nuclear power plant. Three of them are working right now, providing 12% of the electricity in Germany. So think about that. If they turn on all, you know, just turn on all the 17 uh, nuclear power plant, it would be, they, they, they can produce, that alone produces 70%, 70% of the electricity entire electricity used in Germany. But they don't do that, right? Because nuclear is, is not clean and uh, is uh, threatening, so they want to buy natural gas and oil from, you know, from Russia. And it, it seems like uh, the oil and the gas from Russia is not, it, it, it's very clean. It does not pollute the, you know, or, or warm up the earth. And then, you know, with the 10 billion euros supplied to Putin, who could, um, you know, who could use that to sustain his war, including firing the nuclear w weapons. So, you know, if you follow the logic, okay, it's you know, Germany rather want to embrace the prospect of, of uh, you know, being hit, the, the attack of the nuclear weapon, rather than turn on the nuclear power plant. So it's quite ridiculous. But anyway, uh, with this, uh, this is a good one's first step. Otherwise, you know, as the gas, gas, you know, stations, the oil, or the price keep pumping up. That's going to bring the political disaster, right, to the midterm election to President Biden and his party. So that's that. And uh, let's see whether Germany would learn the same thing too. They also have solutions. It's not they are between a rock and a hard place. They are not. They got solutions. They're just not willing to turn it on. And uh, that's where we are. Do, do you agree, okay, what I just described? If you don't agree, or if you have your, your own point of view, and uh, just, uh, just share that, because we do want to hear from you. So, okay, that's the first thing. All right, and uh, the second thing that we want to talk about is the Elon Musk bidding war. Um, you know, his effort to buy Twitter. All right, let's just uh, retro a little bit. On Monday, we'll talk about a little bit uh, ahead of uh, you know, Fox News, as you know, some of you pointed out to us. And uh, Sunday night, I was driving back to Bay Area from Los Angeles, okay? On my phone, I saw this, you know, this tweet, tweet popping up, saying that uh, the Twitter CEO said, uh, Elon Musk decided not to join our company's board. And then Wall Street Journal published a report which has three lines, because it's too breaking, it's too big a piece of news. All right, so on the second day, which is Monday, nothing happened. On the Tuesday, something happened. What is it? Elon Musk filed his uh, Schedule 12D, for his, to register his purchase of his 5.2% uh, of the Twitter um, stocks, uh, a total of 74 million uh, shares. And actually, he did that already, okay? Days ago, he already registered, filed a Schedule 12G. 12G is just a simplistic form indicating he's a passive investor, 
okay, just want to make some money or say something on a board, um, does not indicate that any intention to acquire the company. 12D is such a form because he has to indicate clearly his intention so that the targeted company have that visibility, have that transparency. So he used that form, and then in the, in, in the status in that field, he feel an active investor. In the language of the SEC, active investor means he want to, you know, he want to purchase it. And so that's quite alarming. In the, in the meantime, believe it or not, Elon Musk did not write any tweet for three days. And so what's the big deal of that? You know, you know, way doesn't, you know, that oftentimes why I don't tweet for three days and Kathy probably never tweeted. To Elon Musk, no. Elon Musk tweeted 15 to 30 times every single day recently. Okay, he just literally, he just lived on Twitters, sort of like a, uh, President Trump back then, if you recall. And uh, so altogether, in his uh, 11 years of using uh, Twitter, uh, using, yeah, using Twitter, he has tweeted 17,200 tweets. That's how much he, he, he does and how much he loves this company. Do you remember that? Okay, with that as the background, with that as a habit, how interested he would be in this company. All right. So on Thursday, Thursday morning, okay, the news came out. Actually, he wrote a letter on the Wednesday to the chairman of the, uh, of the Twitter's uh, board. And uh, let me just read you. It's just very short, you know, very short letter. Okay, but very, very powerful. And then, okay, first he said, uh, this is his purpose, okay. He said, I, I invested in Twitter as I believe is in this potential to be the platform for free speech around the globe. And I believe free speech is a societal imperative for a functioning democracy. All right, so what do you think of this statement? Most people probably just skip it. Okay, that's just whatever, opening, opening sentence. But I do think that's his true intention. That's the entire motivation behind this, uh, this uninvited offer, okay? And uh, the second one is really, I would say, would uh, scare the hell out of the, the heck out of the chairman of the board. He said, however, since making my investment, I now realize the company will neither strive nor serve this societal imperative in its current form. Twitter needs to be transformed as a public company. So what does that mean? It means the board, please leave. I don't need you. I, I can run the company. I'm going to take it to private and uh, I'm going to just change it big way. All right. So the next has to do with that. Uh, if you don't sell it to me, I'm going to sell my stake in Twitter. So what does that mean? That means that um, it's basically a threat, right? It's a threat. So that created an effect of uh, even he offered $50.20 on Thursday, $54.20 for one share, and the stock did not come up because people are scared. What if they don't take it, they, they, don't, they don't take the offer, and Elon Musk turn around and uh, sell his stock? the price will drop down to the 30th because that's where the stock was, the stock price was. When Elon Musk announced that he got, uh, he got a 74 million Twitter stocks, which then you know, triggered the stock price to jump more than 20% to its current level in the 40s, in the 50 and 40s. All right, so people are scared. People don't know what will happen. So that's, um, that's Thursday, all right? And then, then, okay, and then what happened today? What happened today is uh, Twitter board came up with a poison pill, poison pill, which is uh, the formal name is called the shareholders' rights plan. Okay, pretty much is saying that uh, if somebody wants to take us, I invited, host or takeover, we're going to let the current shareholder, each of them would buy the new Twitter share at a deep discount. All right, basically they just print, uh, you know, new stocks out of thin air and then sell it at a fraction of this uh, market price. So that, needless to say, that would dilute, dilute each share, right? <clears throat> and everybody can do that. Every, everybody can exercise that, that right. And buy this new, how to say, printed share uh, with, a, with a deeply discounted price, with one exception. The, <clears throat> the takeover guy cannot do that, okay? That's what, is, that's what they just put in in the, in the bylaw today. So Elon Musk doesn't get to do it. So his, his hold, <coughs> I'm sorry, yeah. <coughs> his 74 million um, uh, Twitter shares would be diluted 
immediately. So he has to you know, buy more in order to get to the, uh, the stake enough for him to take over the company. So that's the, called the prison, prison pill. And it said, now would, that, would Elon Musk just walk away? What do you think? I really want you to, want you to know that. What do you think? Would he just, um, you know, just like that and walk away? And, um, or he's going to do something here. Actually, uh, during an interview with the, the, the founder of the Tech Talk in Vancouver, he, that was a pre-scheduled meeting. And then, of course, the interviewer was quite uh, interested in his position behind his purchase of the Twitter. And uh, he said, Elon Musk said, well, I got a plan B. And then the Twitter founder said, uh, the, the TED founder said, uh, so what is it? We want to hear about that. He said, another time, another time. So, so now, we don't know. Um, we don't know what he will do. And the Twitter's board has not responded. They, 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 they passed this poison, poison bill resolution, but they have not re responded. But everybody knows that he, they will reject this. Okay, they will for sure reject it. Then what would Elon Musk do? Okay, that's really the question. So Elon Musk could, you know, exercise his, uh, you know, throw out something called a tender offer, a tender offer to all shareholders. He could go beyond the board and go to all the shareholders, saying that, you know, this is my offer, could be like $60, all right? If I can buy enough, you know, to control the company, I will just pay that money. If I ended up, I don't got enough commitment from the current shareholders, it's just like nothing happened, all right? So that, that's called a tender offer. And he could do that. But as he do that, the poison pill will also kick in and, uh, and will just um, upping his, uh, his expense. So what, we, what would he do, okay? And how much money? How much money would he be willing to commit to this, uh, to this purchase? That's the question that we need to see over the weekend or during next week, all right? Uh, but before we do that, um, before we leave this topic, I, I do want to share with you two observations that I have about Elon Musk. First, he clearly, he clearly realized how important Twitter is. Twitter only have 2.2, how to say, no, I'm sorry, 220 million active users per quarter, okay? And then how, 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 how many users does Facebook have? Um, 2.9 billion people, all right? So YouTube has a 2.3 billion people, and then um, even TikTok, you know, the latecomer, they got a 1 billion users. But uh, Twitter only have uh, 200, 220 million uh, active users. But most opinion leader, mo opinion leader most, uh, how to say, illuminators, or most of VIPs, they are on Twitter. They tweet every day. Okay, the content is more like a news-like type of content. So people who stay on Twitter, and 70% of them are, are men, so, or in other way, you know, news-loving news people, news-reader. And then <clears throat> 23 of the adults, 23% of the adults in this country, United States of America, are Twitter users. So Twitter is actually has an um, unproportional influence in this country, in the public discourse. Because it's largely, just think about that, all those uh, opinion leaders, they tweet. What they tweet is either news or their opinion. And only if what they tweet is highly valuable could they build up followers. And this is exactly what has been happening to Twitter in the last uh, you know, uh, 12 years. Okay, so, so, this is, uh, so Elon Musk said Twitter is the, today's uh, town square. Okay, he's fully aware that Twitter can impact the, a, a, how to say, a leading group of people uh, in this country, the active people who read news every day and influence people around them. And that, that was Twitter. So that's why he's interested in it. The second point, that I, oh, observation I want to share with you is, uh, remember I already said, he tweeted 17,000 um, you know, times in the last 11 years. So way more than average Twitter users or even, um, how to say, Twitter is influencer there. So he really loved the platform. He wanted, he, you know, people are asking, why don't, why don't Elon Musk just go off and invent his own Twitter company, create his own Twitter company? I would say because he loved this company. Okay, he lived and breathed on it for, for you know, more than 10 years. So let's see. So we got the number one, the, the most wealthiest uh, person and the most talented person uh, Elon Musk there, and he's looking at this uh, Twitter, which 
you know, which is uh, how to say one seventh of his uh, net worth. Mm -hmm. Okay, with this uh, poison pill standing ahead of you know in front of him, how much how much effort would he take to overcome the, in the you know the difficulty, the challenge, the barrier to really own Twitter? Yeah, he kind of indicated I have a lot of money, right? Yeah. I, you know, and, and he said economics is not a problem. Mm -hmm. That's what he said. Economics yeah. is not a problem. Okay, he, he care about uh, this uh, functioning um, democracy. And personally, in my Chinese show, I share with the people, I said, if he were to get the Twitter, I think he would reactivate the President Trump's uh, tweet, Twitter account. I do, I do think so. I don't have certainty. I don't know him. I didn't talk to him. But uh, according to, you know, basically, you know, what he said and uh, over the time, uh, that's the conclusion I draw. We'll see. We'll see. So, what do you think? What do you think? Do you think he's uh, he would move beyond this poison pill and pay a lot of a much much higher price to get this company, or he would just walk away? You know, just type up your 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 how to say your opinion and the reason of it, and we want to know about that. Okay. Yeah. So, and the one thing he said at the TED talk. Yeah. He said is uh, um, the the real. Something like uh, the real freedom of speech is uh, some you can allow someone that you don't like to some, say something that you don't like. Mm. That's the real mm -hmm. freedom of speech. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So um, let's see. Louis, you wrote, "I'm betting the woke board ignore their shareholders and the stock uh, the stock price dumped. Uh, the stock price dumped, and I was shorted all the way down." Then by DWAC, the Trump company, okay, hoping that they could uh, they they come in, uh, come in, scoop them up for pennies on the dollar. Okay, NFA device. All right, we'll see. That's uh, that's definitely one 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 how to say one possible scenario. Yeah, oh, I wanted to take the opportunity to thank Larry for your support for your donation, mm. Larry. Okay, and Jim, you wrote Jim Novak. Novak Wrote, Twitter's will be Twitter will be more profitable without uh, censorship. I think Musk sees a way to make money. He will stick to his takeover plan. Okay, yeah, all right. Um, okay, and uh, Hotris Tad, I'm sorry, is it, uh, hot uh, retarded chicks? <laughs> you wrote that Twitter is the enemy of the United States. Yeah, yeah, I understand for now, but I think Elon Musk is trying to change that. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right, so with that, uh, we, uh, we will just uh, stop here. We'll move on to the next uh, topic, which has to do with uh, you know, the guest that we showed you the night before, which mm -hmm. is a retired uh, U.S. Air Force colonel, uh, lieutenant colonel. Yeah, lieutenant colonel Germont uh, Larari. So in the last episode, uh, he, at the end of the interview, he was talking about, you know, one thing he's really worried about is that um, the, because of the geographic uh, position of Taiwan, he's worried that um, once, in case the invasion by the CCP started in the Taiwan, there's no way for any outside, you know, parties to just uh, give the, try to send any kind of uh, weapon support to Taiwan, also for the Taiwanese to escape from the island. So he believes that uh, at this time, the United States and the other countries in the West should give more weapons, like anti-ship, anti-air, anti-missile weapons to Taiwan. So then I you know, wanted to ask him, about whether the Taiwanese government, they are aware of this uh, issue and uh, what are they doing about it. Also, since uh, Lieutenant Colonel Larari has been living in Taiwan for over a month now, I wanted him to share what is he seeing in Taiwan in the light of the Ukraine and uh, Russian war. So he also analyzed a lot about the threat of CCP, whether the sleeping giant, in the, you know, which meaning the United States and the West, has really realized it is indeed the top threat uh, to the free world comparing to Russia. So without fur further delay, uh, let's go for the second part of my interview.
the Taiwan government, would they do anything to you know address the problem that you saw? That they really need to beef up the weapons, you know, anti-ship, anti-air missiles, yes. things like that. I I think they are aware, um, and I think they're doing some things. For example, um, the current um, requirement for service in the military in Taiwan is four months. Um, and the current administration is talking about increasing it to 10 months or to a year. So doubling it or uh, tripling it um, uh, because of this increased concern. Taiwan also has its own uh, capabilities to build its own weapon systems. They have their own uh, anti-air system. They have their own anti-ship system. They have their own anti-missile system. Uh, not because they're very clever uh, at doing things, but because they're forced to build their own system because no one would be willing to give them systems or uh, allow them to buy systems. Uh, this occurred, for example, with the submarines. There was a lot of pressure put on by the uh, CCP to prevent uh, Taiwan from getting any kind of uh, submarine system. So consequently, that forced the Taiwanese government to spend money uh, to build from scratch to build their own submarine system. Next couple of years, they're going to have an additional six submarines, uh, for example. So the Taiwanese government uh, is put in a hard situation where they are forced to fend for themselves, which is, in, in some sense, it's a good thing, but also it might not be sufficient because of the size and uh, and force that uh, the PLA could bring against Taiwan. So that's why it's important for the rest of the world to provide support. Uh, uh, as as they can, uh, just as they have uh, with Ukraine. And that's why I think it's very important to tie Ukraine and Taiwan very tightly together because this is the strongest argument to help Taiwan. And this is exactly what the propaganda people in, in the CCP are trying to stop because they don't want the rest of the world to feel sympathy towards Taiwan. They want people to, to think that Taiwan is a... Is a uh, what they call a rogue uh, province, and it's it's an internal affair. But the more that people connect between Ukraine and Taiwan, the better it is for for Taiwan, and it's better for the rest of the world to uh, show sympathy and to actually provide help that is uh, useful to Taiwan. So, Germán, since you you know arrived and lived in Taiwan for one month now, and that's during the Ukraine war, how do you see the atmosphere in Taiwan in regards to how they view this war and also relates to how Taiwan could be potentially attacked by CCP? Uh, so I'll, uh, I'll answer it in two different ways. I'll answer it from the point of view of, of discussions I've had with people uh, on the street or just uh, uh, people I've uh, been interviewing for my research. And then also the polling that's been uh, going on in, in Taiwan. So uh, based on just my interactions with people here in Taiwan, it has increased their awareness of the threat of the CCP. And I think it's a good thing. Uh, unfortunately, it's not a good thing for Ukraine, but for the Taiwanese people to become more concerned is, is a good thing and to take it more seriously is a good thing. You know. What happened to Hong Kong, Hong Kong was also traumatic for the Taiwanese people. Many of them have relatives there, and they have done business with, with people in Hong Kong. And so, in the same sense, Ukraine had, was uh, was another reminder of the fact that when you have aggressive, autocratic superpowers with small neighbors or neighbors that don't have nuclear weapons, you become vulnerable. And so, the people in Taiwan have, have I think, have become more energized. I think the political environment is supporting, more likely to support, a more aggressive uh, pursuit of preparedness. And I think not only military side, but I think the, the resilience of society uh, is important. And so it's not just, uh, you know, weapons. It's also about uh, the people's minds and how they support the idea of, of resisting an invasion and how they have practical uh, means to to deal with this. I think the resilience uh, factor uh, it has become stronger and in a positive way. Now, in terms of polling, yes, uh, I think that uh, what I've read is that the polls have indicated that the Taiwanese people have become more and more uh, 
concern about an invasion, um, and, but not to the point where they're uh, fearful. Uh, uh, but I think in, increased amount to the point where they understand that it's serious and that they need to plan and uh, deal with this. So, you know, in, in, in the psychology part of it, uh, I think they've come to understand that it is serious and, uh, and they need to prepare. Uh, so uh, I think enough people in Taiwan are dedicated enough to resist an uh, invasion. I think the polling said that 70% of the people in Taiwan would be willing to uh, fight against the PLA should they invade. And this number is a, is a dramatic increase from prior to the Ukrainian war, Ukrainian-Russian war. Uh, so uh, these are all good things. Uh, and I think that Taiwan should take advantage of this sense of uh, urgency and push their people to increase their readiness, preparedness, and uh, also uh, ask their allies and friends uh, to help them where they need help. A while ago, it was said Russia has been downgraded to a secondary threat, right? The, the top threat is the CCP. How do you think United States uh, right now uh, treating the threat of the CCP? Is it enough? They realize enough it's the biggest threat or is there any concerns do you have? Let me break it up into two, uh, several different uh, dimensions. Uh, in terms of the nuclear, nuclear weapons threat, uh, Russia currently has more nuclear weapons than China does. And uh, so in terms of a nuclear war, Russia is the greater threat. But China, the PLA specifically, is building a huge amount of uh, missile launch sites, mainly in the center north and center western part of China. And so those uh, missile fields uh, estimated right now currently to be 300 missile silos, each with a potential of three nuclear warheads on each one. Once that those are built and they're operational, uh, that would mean that, uh, that the PRC would be almost an equivalent threat in terms of uh, ICBM, uh, intercontinental ballistic missile threat to the United States. So they're building to that threat on the nuclear side. Um, but on the economy side, uh, the PRC is leaps and bounds ahead of, of Russia. Uh, they are number two in terms of the economy, and they're probably going to be number one uh, eventually, uh, just due to their size, and population, and, and, their, and, and their industry, and what they've stolen from the West in terms of intellectual property. The problem is, is that, is that uh, in my opinion, is that the CCP has done actions to uh, sort of just below the level of conflict. Uh, they've pushed in the South China Sea. They've pushed to their Belt and Road Initiative. They've pushed uh, different initiatives around the world, Latin America, Africa, Asia, everywhere, Europe. Uh, and so they are expanding at, at an incredible uh, amount uh, compared to, let's say, Russia is pretty stagnant. Uh, so the problem is, is that the U.S. and the West are asleep. They don't, they don't see the threat as serious as it is. And that's the problem, is that the CCP is smart in terms of not waking up the giant that the West can be. And so uh, I think that's why the PRC, specifically the Chinese Communist Party, is, is a much graver threat because they're, you know, I guess a good word would be they're sneaky. Uh, they're able to uh, do things that do not provoke us in a big way, but they're constantly pushing and pushing and pushing everywhere. And so the U.S. and the West and the other allies, uh, Japan, Australia, India, are not uh, forced to make a sudden move. They're lulled into sort of this economic uh, business trade, uh, but the CCP will conduct uh, military operations eventually. They have to because they have, they're building such a large military. Uh, in fact, the, uh, the, for example, the, 
PLA Navy is larger today than the U.S. and it's going to be larger next year uh, as we, as even the U.S. is drawing down the number of ships that we're producing and uh, the number of ships that are retiring, uh, our numbers are going to continue to go down. In the military sense, uh, uh, we're weaker. Uh, in the uh, economic sense, we're, uh, they're catching up. Uh, and I think that they have a strategy uh, that will keep us just below a react, you know, reacting to their behavior. Now, of course, the invasion of Taiwan would be an activity that would activate us. But the question is, is uh, what would they do? I mean, uh, one of my one of my scenarios that I've thought about strongly uh, is the PLA could could just conduct a blockade around Taiwan and and declare that anyone who interfered with it would be an act of war and that they would respond accordingly. In other words, threaten nuclear war. Uh, just as uh, Russia has threatened the same thing about Ukraine. And so if they if they conduct a blockade against uh, Taiwan, uh, I'm not so sure what, what, the, what the West will do because there's nobody being killed. There's no media that shows people dying um, as in Ukraine. But it, in effect, it, uh, it puts a lot of pressure on the, on the Taiwanese people to survive without any kind of outside help. Uh, and so that, and so this is something that I think, uh, in terms of if they wanted to do a slow type of uh, aggressive aggression, uh, this would be an option for them. And I, I think that that would be problematic uh, for the rest of the world to to deal with. Uh, so there are a lot of things that uh, I'm concerned about with the PRC, and uh, I think that as long as we are asleep and not having a say a strategic plan to deal with them uh, I think they're going to continue to be an increasing threat uh, and hopefully we'll be able to deal with them before they become a threat that we can't deal with anymore. General Yellen was uh, talking about if CCP does invade Taiwan you know for sure United States gonna just uh, use all kinds of uh, sanction against uh, uh, Chinese government how do you think this type of a reaction, would that be sufficient enough to curb the CCP? I heard a speaker a couple of days ago uh, mention what they thought were, was the vital interests of the CCP. Number one is uh, internal stability. Uh, number two is their borders and the secure borders. And number three is the economy. Uh, so secure borders falls into, into the Taiwan uh, framework. It's more important to them than the economy. Uh, again, according to this list that uh, this uh, panel was talking about. And so I would argue that, uh, that any kind of economic boycott of, of the PRC would be painful, not only for the PRC, but for the rest of the world because the rest of the world does depend on a lot of production coming out of the PRC. Uh, but as we saw in the case of Russia, it didn't stop Putin from continuing his war uh, against Ukraine. Um, I don't know of any example in history where uh, boycotts have been successful in terms of preventing uh, a, the leadership of the country from con pursuing uh, war uh, if they wanted to do it, uh, even though it might not make economic sense. Uh, people forget that the economy is not necessarily the only thing that people think about. Uh, so as I mentioned, in the case of uh, the PRC, uh, CCP believes that their borders are more important, secure borders are more important, and they believe that Taiwan is a part of their borders. And uh, they, they don't have an issue, in my opinion. Now, remember that uh, Xi Jinping also has uh, directed his people to uh, develop what they call a dual circulation uh, concept within China. In other words, uh, make China more independent of the, uh, of the exterior economy. Now, obviously, they're not there yet, and they won't be there for a long time, but they're moving in that direction. 
Russia was also moving in that direction immediately following the 2014 war, uh, where the West also uh, conducted some sanctions against Russia. Uh, but that, again, didn't stop them from doing a second invasion of Ukraine. And so I don't think that uh, sanctions will stop uh, the CCP from taking Taiwan. Yeah, I came from China. I know the political goal is more important for them than people's life, you know, how they live in China. Yes, I mean, uh, and I'm sure you understand this more than I do, is that uh, in the United States, the, the people are the sovereign. They are in charge of the government. They can change the government. They have the ability to do that. And uh, we have freedom of thought, freedom of speech. Uh, in China, the people serve the Communist Party, uh, and everything is supports the Communist Party. The PLA serves the Communist Party. The United States the military serves the Constitution, uh, and uh, and so and, and, and serves the people. Uh, but in, in in Communist China, the PLA serves the party. And the party is ultimately in charge and uh, makes all decisions. There is no freedom of speech. There is no freedom of religion. There is no freedom whatsoever. And so it's everything reversed. I'm sure that you and many others have have, have seen this uh, close hand, and it's very important for people to understand that should, when uh, the CCP decides to do something uh, against Taiwan, it's not merely an invasion, it's also uh, oppression of another group of people that are currently democratic, living in freedom, able to vote, and able to think whatever they want to think. Once the CCP takes over, as we saw in Hong Kong, uh, and as we as we have we seen in, in Tibet and every other place that they've taken over uh, regions uh, from the people who live there, that this this is the way that they operate. Uh, the CCP is the religion of the PRC. Very well said. Anything else you would like to share with our audience? One important thing uh, to understand is that uh, democracy is a threat to the CCP. Uh, freedom of speech, freedom of religion, the freedom uh, to be equal under the law, be able to appeal decisions, uh, all these things that we uh, take for granted uh, in Western democracies is poison to the CCP. And I think uh, one of the reasons, maybe the biggest reason, Besides the fact that it's a, uh, that Taiwan is close to, to China and has this Chinese-speaking population, I think a major issue that really attacks the CCP is the freedom that people here in Taiwan have. And I think used effectively, it could attack um, the internal stability of, of the PRC. As we saw in Tiananmen Square in 1989, where over 10,000 people were killed, uh, freedom is something that the CCP fears. And I think this is one of the reasons why, the, maybe the, ma the major reason why they want to take over Taiwan. Uh, and I think it's something that, uh, as a tool, that maybe this is one area that uh, we should be emphasizing a lot more uh, to affect the people that live under the rule of the CCP. Wonderful. Thank you, Gurma, again for coming on to our show and sharing your insights of those issues. Thank you very much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Okay, so I think actually it's a good segue to talk about Shanghai right now. Mm -hmm. um, um, as people in Shanghai, somebody feel that they are looks like being treated as uh, Uyghurs or the people in the street of Hong Kong. And why? Because right now, almost uh, one month with this uh, COVID zero uh, policy and uh, zero COVID policy and uh, people in Shanghai, you know, one real problem is about the food. But now another scenario came up, which is uh, the Shanghai government, they are actually forcibly expropriating people's apartments as isolation hospitals. And uh, they suppress those people if they don't obey. In Shanghai now, 
you know, look at that. We, yeah, take, take a look at this uh, video. Yeah, so basically, they are, they, are, they are removing people from their living places because the places has been <coughs> now designating as the quarantine hospital. Yeah, it, it, let's have some audio. And people was kneeling down and just a plea with the police. The white cloth, white cloth people, they are police. Look at people, they kneel down, they beg, say, please, you know, let, my, let our family members go because they are arresting, beating up those family members. And then those are uh, those are police. They actually they are they are army. They are army uh, PLA members. And the Chinese government moved them from the so-called the western western district, western military district, which is uh, about one thousand, how to say, six hundred miles away, because they would have no attachment to dealing with uh, Shanghainese, Shanghai people forcefully. Yeah, it's similar to what happened on the Tiananmen Square. Right, the they dare not to move 1989 the, yeah. Tiananmen yeah. Massacre, where the POA, they move into Beijing to suppress those students are from outside of the city of Beijing. Uh, uh, remote, from remote uh, military district. Yeah, they are shouting, you know, people shout, the, the females are shouting, please send back my family members. And say they are also shouting, you are beating up older people and you don't arrest bad people, why you arrest good people? That's what they are shouting about. Mm, okay. So I, just before the show, I, I saw a video which is uh, a old lady, old lady, in, probably in, in her 70s. She jumped out of window because of hunger, okay. Mm -hmm. And his bus, his husband then ran down to the um, to the downstairs to, to to outside where the the body of his wife just you know is 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 laying, and then was just uh, just just screaming out there. Yeah, and the you know people with because they are so hungry, no food. People trying all kinds of things, trying to get food. One man actually called the police and saying um, that the anti, so-called anti-pandemic uh, uh, people and saying that, uh, asking if I just break out of the blockade uh, and you arrest me, would I get food then? Yeah, but, I mean, so throw me into jail. Yeah. Um, is there food in jail? If so, he's going to just... Uh, just break out. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, let's also, t you know, uh, see some other people in Shanghai. One group of people are the truckers. Okay, there are also a lot of truckers uh, coming in and out of Shanghai. So they are stuck at highway intersections. And uh, those, uh, there are people who are on the white clothes again, you know, those are the people who will test those trucker dri truck drivers. Once it, they are tested as positive, then you can say they will put a seal on the door of this truck which means in the next day in the nights of uh, either they are driving or they just staying at the intersection, the driver will take care of eating, drinking, and uh, you know, everything, okay, in the truck. So one truck driver just was so desperate and helpless saying, please, can you please give me two big plastic bags? I'm afraid that uh, I cannot hold for a long time. Right. And let's also see another group of people in Shanghai. Those are the migrant workers in Shanghai. There are thousands of migrant workers who were tapped in Shanghai, trapped in Shanghai construction sites. Because of the surge of the uh, positive cases in Shanghai, the demand for isolation wards are soaring. So they just uh, called, out, called in a lot of migrant workers outside of Shanghai to build up those, um, uh, those uh, isolation hospitals very quickly. So a lot of times those workers had to work 16 to 18 hours a day, sometimes 24 hours a day. But once they finished building those hospitals, what happened to them? They are trapped. They cannot go back to their hometown because the local government saying, 
if you are coming back, you know, you might bring the virus from Shanghai. So no, we don't want you. And then Shanghai government saying, go back to your hometown. So they are being kicked back and forth. A group of 40 migrant workers from Zhejiang province and to Shanghai to support the construction and uh, worked for five days, so late, you know, overloaded every day. But, uh, you know, finally, they just have nowhere to go. And they are saying, Shanghai, let us go on the, go to the highway to find the next intersection. Then the Zhejiang province government and asking them to go back where they came from, which is uh, Shanghai. So kick them back and forth. So that's the migrant workers in Shanghai situation right now. Let's then talk about, you know, take a look at another story. It's about a Ukrainian in Shanghai. Her name is Jane Polobotko. Uh, he, she has been in Shanghai for eight years, and she has been quarantined in this uh, renovated Shanghai hospital in the exhibition center. It's a big exhibition center, and uh, but she said she would rather go back to uh, Ukraine, the war zone where her hometown is, right? And then live, you know, living in this um, this uh, exhibition center. So that's a PBS story. Talked to her, and uh, she she said that uh, you know she's been living with four thousand people, commun uh, communally. Uh, in this, and she has, she was assigned a cell. It's called uh, her number is one thirty eight. We can take a look at, you know, she took uh, some uh, footage of the cell. They can only have some place to wash face. There's no shower, so she hasn't been showering for eighteen days. The thing, is, and also the lights. She said the lights were on for twenty four hours a day, and she already had. A, the last three tests has been all negative, but she's still not allowed to get out. And she said, I don't understand. You know, a lot of people like her just feel that we are not harmful to the society. Why you force us to stay here? And she said that the, the, the most thing she wants to do right now is only wants to get out of here. Let's take a listen. I think we had some difficulty pull up the video, but she just said, I just wanted to go back to Ukraine, although it's a war zone. Yeah. <clears throat> and those are the people actually in the quarantine ward. And then talking about just, you know, 26 million people, Shanghainese, how do they get by every day? You have to eat, right? And where do they get the food? Just uh, mind you this. Um, since the, the breakout of January of 2020, okay, the first breakout uh, of the uh, COVID-19 uh, COVID pandemic, the government has given nothing, okay, no check out to any Chinese in this uh, more than two years. And while here, we, we, you know, the government gave, issued checks, I think we gave too much. Okay, over there is, is the, the other extreme. Mm -hmm. Nothing was given. So for this 26 million people, they have to go to online to order food. Just imagine that this kind of uh, you know, supply situation where the supply route has all been, how to say, segregated or separated or disconnected. In a very well-off family, okay, they pay 400 US dollars for one day's food. The price jump up by 10 times. Who can afford those? But they, they all have to spend their money to just you know, get by every day. Very, very simple. You know, you know, vegetable, basic food, they pay, you know, like a two, 400 US dollars for one day's meal. And um, yeah, this government just let them, just like, just try to survive yourself, okay? You guys all stay in, in, the, in the room. However you can, you know, you, you survive, you not die. I, nothing has to do with me. Yeah, this is what they're, they're, they're left with. Yeah, and, and that actually reminds of people what uh, Mao Zedong did during the, the Great Leap, cultural, right? The Great Leap. Mm -hmm. it, they had the the zero policy on the Machue, the, mm. the birds, mm. squirrels, squirrels, and uh, because they said, oh, the squirrels are harmful to the, the agriculture. Agriculture. So that's actually eventually. Uh, let me see how many squirrels they killed. Nearly two billion squirrels Sparrow. were killed. Squirrels, yeah. Yeah. 
just in a few months. And then the near extinction of the sparrows allowed the in insects to proliferate and uh, wreak, you know, havoc on the crop crops, which essentially killed um, the tens of millions of Chinese people by starvation over the following three years. So that's the mouse era of the zero sparrow policy. Mm -hmm. And then now it comes to the zero COVID policy. And uh, here, um, the kitty hawk, you said, why do they uh, detain them like that? They detain them because they are they're tested positive. Yeah. Also, Some of them, they don't even test positive, but the CDC, the Chinese version of CDC, they just say, you know, we, we think you are positive. So they, they move them away into those quarantine wards, quarantine so-called hospitals. It's not really a hospital. It's like a concentration camp or concentration hall, however you call it. Yeah. Concentration yeah. warehouse. Yeah, and uh, so actually, um, uh, just last Sunday, I was in Los Angeles, covered the defeat mandate rally, and uh, interviewed Dr. Robert Malone. He talked about, actually, he explained why the situation in Shanghai, in China, is so bad with their zero COVID policy. Let's take a listen. To my eyes, what's happened in China is that there has been a very, very, very rigorous effort to keep the virus out of the population, although they were quite glad to spread it, as you'll recall, in early 2020, when they did not restrict foreign travel prior to the Chinese New Year. Uh, but, uh, and I've heard various stories about that. But the problem with infectious disease outbreaks like this is you cannot stop them. They're like water from the sky. They're like the wind blowing. You can't stop them. All you can do is delay the onset of the outbreak. And if you continue to delay it in the way that they have, then you set up a situation where suddenly, once it's in the population, you have a catastrophic wave. Yeah, basically, he said, uh, you know, they are just uh, with this uh, kind of uh, restriction, only delay the outbreak. But uh, this virus is just like uh, the rain, just like the wind. You cannot stop it. But uh, one thing I think Dr. Malone pointed out is very, he's just so good talking about essentially why the Chinese Communist government does that. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's, uh, let's try again for the next episode. Uh, and that appears to be what's happened here is the belief, this fundamental belief that somehow the actions of man can resist something as fundamentally powerful as a highly infectious virus. What the Chinese have done in what happened in South Korea was that they delayed the vaccination, they delayed the uh, infection in particular as the virus became more and more resistant to vaccines. And then once it finally broke through, that highly evolved virus just ripped through the population. And that's exactly what anyone would predict that has knowledge of infectious disease outbreaks. This is like a, a, the dam is breaking. You cannot stop the water. Uh, and, and we're seeing it play out. We saw it play out in South Korea with that huge spike. And now we're seeing it play out in the People's Republic and the, and the various satellite uh, um, uh, I don't want to call them nation states, uh, the various satellite cities that are affiliated with the People's Republic of China now. I think he really grabs the one thing that the logic of the CCP is uh, they believe that manpower will win over God. Basically, what's well, nature, their or heaven, nature? Or, or, yeah. Or, yeah, that's basically what they have been doing, right? Since the Cultural Revolution, you know, all those things. They just because they are atheists. So that's a very essential reason why they are doing this. And of course, you know, they just control everything. It's a totalitarian regime. They control everything. That's why they feel they can just arrest people if they don't follow their policy. Yeah, so that's the sad thing that's happening in China. And believe it or not, this is Shanghai. You know, just imagine in New York City, okay, in New York City, people the entire city is starving every day, and they have no reliability of food supply. They try to get by every day. They are stuck, you know. And, and the, the, the entire reasoning is this. They, they, they want to freeze the entire um, Shanghai so that they can starve to death the virus. Ended up they starve to death so many people. 
well, as, as of now, the official statistics about people die from this uh, Omicron uh, you know, uh, virus in Shanghai is how many? Zero. And that number is not accurate. But, uh, yeah, but there are other, you know, yeah, deaths. Yeah, it could be low. Yeah, deaths from other, like uh, for the suicides and the other diseases because of the zero po policy, they, they cannot get cured, you yeah. know, be, be treated in time. Right. So this is happening in real time. I don't know how, how much English media is reporting that. And uh, yeah, this is just unbelievable. And, uh, and the Jim you wrote, okay, Jim Novak, you said, how can the CCP survive this horrible public relation? Good question, good comment, okay? They actually, they cannot, because this is uh, people are all waking up, they become outrageous, they couldn't believe, possibly believe what kind of government is, you know, is this. So a lot of, uh, how to say, um, yeah, their fantasy with the, the CCP, you know, just realize the, how to say, the China dream become rejuvenate, rejuvenate how to say, um, rejuvenated, rejuvenation yeah, uh, of, the, of the China. That was, uh, you know, the, 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 the party's uh, fantasy for them. They bought it in, they bought them all in. And then now they are waking up, many, many people are waking up. So believe it or not, a situation like this, okay, and it could be the starting point of some big change happened down the road. I'm maybe one or two steps ahead of most of the news people, but I just want to call it out and let's just let's stay on you know on this news and see what this will bring to China and the and the regime of the government there. Yeah, remember um, our previous guest, Lieutenant uh, Colonel Germant uh, Larari, he he shared. One the first, the mo one of the top priority for the CCP regime is internal stability. Mm -hmm. So actually, this type of policy really affecting the internal stability in Shanghai, in China. So yeah, you know, let's watch, watch out what's going to happen there. Yeah. So in the meantime, this is really showcased to all of us, right? All of us, especially in the West, what the common, how communism functions. Arbitrary decision, forceful execution, uh, not any room to say no or resist or non-complying. You know, non-compliance. It's a ruthless regime wherever they are. The communism, that's just communism. What it is, and uh, yeah, and, and imagine that how it would open door for the for uh, corruptions, right? For yeah. arbitrary arrests and. Uh, uh, abuse, mm -hmm. you know, all kinds of things. Okay. Yeah. Before we end today's program, I just want to use uh, one comparison. Okay. In this country, we got this terrible energy policy, which caused inflation to just rise high and it caused the suffering to people. People are not happy. They are, essentially, they are not happy with the government's policy. Over there in China, okay, in order to, you know, so-called clear zero, get, getting the COVID zero uh, scenario, they issued all kinds of uh, quarantine policy and the people are suffering and the people are suffering and they, are, they don't like this public policy. We've got two governments who are not popular in both countries. But over here, okay, President Biden walked back because he could lose big in midterm election. Yeah, at least he will try to, you know, save the yeah. midterm election. And also, the other thing is people can really voice out. Yeah, they can vote them out, right? They can vote them out. In, in China over here, you know, the government, the, the CCP doesn't give a damn, you know, how, 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 how much suffering you are, you, you know, you're, you're bearing with. Because their power has nothing to do with common people. It's just, it's guarded by weapons and they're guarded by their propaganda media. And uh, so that's the difference, okay? So I, I would say still, say treasure what we have, make the best use of it. And, and also save, try to save. Yeah, yeah. Save, save it. Yeah, save our nation, okay? Save our freedom and save this great country. Yeah, and before we end, actually, I have an announcement, especially for people who are, for our audience who are in California. So you probably will, you know, be interested in this. The People's Convoy actually is coming to Sacramento next Monday, all right? So they are um, coming to Sacramento mainly to voice out their opposition to the Democratic California legislatures trying to push those 10, uh, 10 legislations. And uh, so on, the, on uh, next Monday, 
at noon, uh, afternoon, like 1 to 3 p.m., they will have this uh, rally in Sacramento. And the next day, they actually will be uh, lobbying the legislatures on another bill. It's called the AB 2223 bill, which basically is legalizing the killing of baby. You know, you may find it just outrageous, but yes, that's one of the bills. Uh, it's out of that 10 bills, okay, different from that. But uh, this bill can just allow killing of uh, a baby. Born baby. Yeah. Not a baby in the, in the, in the, in the tone, but born baby. So this bill will be hear, heard at uh, the Health Committee in California Legislature uh, on on next uh, Tuesday's afternoon. So more, you know, the organization, people in, in different organizations, they are gathering together to oppose that and trying to lobby their elected officials to oppose that bill. So just for your information, so that uh, if you are, in case you are interested, you can, you know, just uh, participate or find out more information online. Okay, yeah, and thank you again. Thank you, Larry Hank, for your donation. And really appreciate that. And for those of you who are here, if you think our program is good, please press like and uh, making sure you stay subscribed and have that little bell uh, clicked. And also leaving comment also help with propaganda. I mean, triggering the algorithm so that this uh, channel can reach more people. What? <laughs> no. Oh, Holly's asking joke. Wait. Oh, sorry. Today. Uh, how about next time? Let me. Let me. Let me. Let me take a rain check. Uh, please take a rain check. Let me, let me do it next time. <laughs> yeah, it's already over one hour today. So yeah. It's long anyways. Right. All right. Thank you all for right. staying with us for your time. Really appreciate it. And um, all right. Let's just uh, stay informed and uh, stay, again, stay strong. All right. Take care. All right. Have a great weekend. Okay. Thank you. Good night. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.